As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals Number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, what do you do to manage licenses for regulatory requirements? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, we are happy to have Emily Warren. Welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, thank you for having me. She is the License and Development Officer for CERMAC Canada and is part of the Young Salmon Farmers of British Columbia Group. Welcome again, Emily. Let's get the show started. Perfect. Could you share some insights into the fascinating world of salmon farming and maybe what are the key factors that contribute to the success and sustainability of a salmon farm? Yeah, so I think some of the key factors that contribute to the success and sustainability of salmon farming are really the people that work in the industry. Uh, the people, whether they work on the sea sites, hatcheries, in the lab, or the office, come from such diverse backgrounds, which really helps with being able to bring in new and creative thinking to problems that we haven't solved before. And I can only speak for myself, but I got into the industry because I love the ocean, and I see that passion in a lot of other people, too, that I work with. And so I think that's what's really going to keep successfully pushing this industry forward. I really like that you said that. I remember in one of the episodes, someone was talking to me about people, planet, and profit. And yeah. unfortunately, there's a lot of people that thinks that aquaculture is all about profit, but it's not so. So thank you for bringing that to the forefront again, Yeah, which leads me to my next question. As a license and development officer, what are some of the most common challenges you face in ensuring the, the smooth operation of the farm? And how do you overcome these challenges to maintain a healthy and productive farm? Yeah, so my position as License and Development Officer, I manage the day-to-day -day licenses and permits that all our sea sites, freshwater hatcheries, and the offices need to operate. Um, I also help with the regulatory reporting related to environmental compliance and looking into funding for new technology related to innovation. So the regulatory environment surrounding salmon farming was already talked about in another episode with Sam, so definitely check that out. And I don't want to dive too much into that. So um, other than to say it is complex and with three primary regulatory bodies overseeing us. So the province of BC, Fisheries and Oceans Canada and Transport Canada, it can be a challenge to keep on top of everything that is required of us. Um, so the province regulates the land use, water use and our marine tenures. DFO regulates our fish and the surrounding environments so looking at like benthic and incidental catch. And Transport Canada regulates the navigational waterway. And so they ensure that our infrastructure has minimal interference on other users. And so, for example, we can't block a channel off to public access or create a navigational hazard. 
Um, then there's also just the general day-to-day -day permits the sites need to operate. Um, so there we're looking at marine radio, commercial vessel, commercial vessel licenses, and electrical operating permits, as well as a few others. Um, so like I mentioned, the challenge is really just keeping on top of all of that, and it just takes some organization. Um, so most of the sites related to permits, so for example, Technical Safety BC, which manages the electrical operating permits, uh, they will email yearly to remind you things will be expiring soon or if inspections are needed for the equipment. Uh, for other more regulatory items that will be related to the production cycle, um, to kind of scheduling around our fish and the timing can change. I found it really handy to put dates into a calendar, for example, at the beginning of the year or each quarter. And then you get reminders on due dates that way, or at least a reminder to check if that due date is still accurate if it needs to be shifted, depending what's happening production-wise or in the company. And so that's just one aspect, but it really takes a lot of people to keep a salmon farm running smoothly. Wonderful, which leads me to actually think about, are you using AI to monitor all this? As you mentioned, there's a lot of changes that's happening. When you were talking about funding to new technology for innovation, mm -hmm. I just came up with a founding, funding roadmap for our company. So is there some hacks that you can share with us on how you keep on monitoring all this? There's definitely some up-and-coming technology. I know there's a couple sort of apps in the development um, for my department, but Fish Health is really uh, the department with CIRMAC that is really um, bringing in new technology and apps to really streamline their process, which I can't speak too much more on, but there's definitely some new and exciting things happening <laughs> in that realm. Yeah, because this morning I was just in a call and somebody was sharing an app for uh, Gamma.ai, I think, Gamma.com slash AI. I haven't checked it out yet, but it basically oh, yeah. helps you how to do the whole marketing where if you wanted to do slides you don't have to start from scratch because it's kind of does most of the work for you so that's what that's in my front oh, of wow. my yeah. <laughs> so Fancy. my last question is salmon farming is open subject to debates and concerns regarding environmental impact and fish welfare so how does your role as a license and development officer address these concerns and maybe you can share with us any innovative approaches or practices that promote sustainability and animal welfare in salmon farming yeah, so there's definitely a lot of justified concern about the environmental impact this industry has, as well as any industry, really. And I unfortunately think there's a big misconception that the salmon farming industry can just operate and do what they want, essentially. Um, so I think it's important to know that salmon farming is highly regulated, if not the most regulated food production industry in Canada. And as I mentioned earlier, we're overseen by multiple regulatory bodies, both provincially and federally, as well as adhering to multiple third-party certifications and standards established by First Nations with whom we have agreements with. Um, so in my role, I help with the reporting requirements as part of our conditions of license to operate. And one aspect of that is benthic monitoring. So monitoring what's happening on the seabed below our sites, first in regard to siting and location uh, before we can even start operating. And then second, in regard to monitoring environmental impact and benthic performance so that we can continue operation at that site. Um, so for siting, what initially needs to be considered by regulators is depth, current, bathymetry, seabed typology, et cetera. And these can be done using models, C4 surveys, um, current meters, and ROV surveys. And then after a site location has been approved, then continual benthic monitoring is required to ensure that we are having as minimal impact as possible on that area. And we need to meet these standards enforced by all those regulators in order to restock our farms and continue operating in that area. Um, so the point with this I'd really like to get across and have people understand better is that we operate and want to operate in a way that causes least harm. And if we do see a problem, we innovate and change practices to mitigate that problem overall. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. So then, which leads me to my next question, which is, 
when you were talking about benthic monitoring and environmental performance, is there some kind of where you get checked by all these regulatory agencies you were talking about, you know, province of BC, Department of Fisheries and Oceans, Transport Canada, like, is there like, you know, when they're coming or sometimes it will be like a test check, like I came from audit. So sometimes you don't really know when they're coming. It's a test check. So we better make sure that all the time it's ready. Yes, yeah, it's it's a bit of both. We do have scheduled audits that we're aware of where we do provide. Um, so, for example, before we can restock farm, we need to do these benthic surveys to make sure we're under those thresholds that they require of us. There are also surprise audits, which, just like you said, we always, I mean, it's not like, we always need to be in compliance, which we aim to do anyway. But, yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people yeah, don't know that about the industry, right? That it is very regulated, one of the most checked I think industry in any other industry. But so let me go now personally. How did you get into this? <laughs> Tell me, I guess it's a bit convoluted, but I did grow up in Toronto. So in the city, I really had no idea what aquaculture was, uh, but then decided to go do my bachelor of science on the East Coast in Prince Edward Island. And that's where I started to take, I mean, it wasn't until like third, fourth year where I really got into more marine biology and then learned about aquaculture for the first time. And then after that, wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do, but was interested in just fish farming in general, I guess. And Vancouver Island University had just the one-year post-degree diploma. So I decided I'd move across the country to check that out. And from there, just got into a research project looking at sea urchin aquaculture, actually. Um, from that, did my master's and then started this position at CERMAC a couple of years later. Oh, that's very interesting. Now that you're mentioning sea yeah. urchin aquaculture, do you know how to get um, so that they don't break the hold fast for red urchin. Did you study that? The whole no, it was um, more sea urchins like in a lab or being held in trays. So um, just feeding them artificial like pellet diets. So it wouldn't be too sure enough. They'd definitely be interesting to look into. <laughs> yeah, because we were trying to do an experiment on what's the best feed, and uh, so far last year, I think, or uh, maybe a year before, even that, we were um, surprised that they like the Chinese cabbage more than any other feed that we gave them. We were oh, interesting. Yeah. All, all organic, like with carrot, other veg vegetables, but they like the yeah. Chinese cabbage the best. So, what would you recommend as one piece of advice for someone who wanted to go into the industry? Um, I think it's definitely, especially on Vancouver Island, which I know, so I can't speak for like the rest of Canada or the world. But although it seems like a really big industry, it's a small community. And I think networking is really important. It's just getting out there, getting any sort of position you can, and you'll meet so many people and so many of those people have connections to other people you're going to want to know. And yeah, just get to know people around and get in there. <laughs> Try it out. So good. Like you started with people and you ended with people. I like that. So my biggest takeaway from our conversation when you were talking about obviously the people aspect of things, but even though it's a big industry, it's actually a very small community. And it's fascinated me in my 15 years here now in the industry. That is very true that you get to meet a lot of really wonderful people in the industry. Mm -hmm. So thank you again for being on the show. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, just either social media or my email. It's just emily.warren at cermac.com and yeah. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Pleasure. To all our guests and to our audience, thank you for being here. And I look forward to see you next week. Remember that you help build a home in the Philippines every time we launch an episode. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Thank you for listening. And I hope you are inspired from this episode. 
Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture. <music>